Welcome to the Eastside Church Podcast. We're a community-driven church based in Charlotte, North Carolina, and invite you to join us on Sundays at 9 or 11 a.m. For more information, visit our website, eastsidechurch.co. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to play that video yeah, here in just a minute, uh, Lee. In a, in a, at the end. I want to make sure I get through this, and I want to get through it um, <laughs> a little bit more structured than I did last time. <laughs> so uh, uh, to set it up, uh, Paul writes to the church, and he's writing to the church, and he he takes the whole book of Ephesians, and he tells us who we are in Christ. He, he tells of the glorious things that Jesus has done for us and, and how that every spiritual blessing and, and all the promises and the, and the love of God is so available to each one of us. He, he even says that we, we sit together with Christ in heavenly places. I mean, we, we sit with Him in heavenly places. Not, in, not, in, not as if we're going to go sit with him is that we're sitting with him in heavenly places. That, that the kingdom of God is available to us. He does that for five and a half chapters. Who Jesus is, who we are in him. And then he says, you're in a war. And you need to be warfare ready. You need to be warfare ready. So that's the title of the message, Brandon. Is warfare ready? He then begins to describe the whole armor of God and making sure that you're prepared for the war at hand. Let me just read to you from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 6, what Paul writes to the church in Corinth on the same topic. He says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Man, that's powerful. That is a powerful passage of Scripture. He says we're not in a physical, fleshly fight. We're in an invisible, unseen battle, which we have divine power given to us to destroy the strongholds of the enemy. And it says about you that you destroy arguments as a believer. You destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. It says, it says that we do this. This is who we are. This is what a Christian is. Being ready... To punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. And so it is a description of the warfare that we're about to go in. Paul uh, writes to the church in Ephesus, and he basically, he's, he's got two camps again. You, and, and one of the things I think that I am to describe to us today as the church is really how to be successful in walking the, you know, walk the walk, being a believer. How can you be successful? Well, first of all, you've got to take the first five chapters of Ephesians into account. 
And that is you've got to believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. You've got to believe that everything that he promised for you is yours. You've got, you've got to understand those things. Paul diagrams those beautifully. And so he says, you're in this camp. You're in the family of God. You're a son, a daughter of God. The promises of God are, your, are yours. The inheritance of Christ is yours. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places are yours. The promises are yours. They're yes and amen to you. Here we are living in the kingdom. And he says, as you live in this kingdom right here, you need to be warfare ready. But what do you need to be warfare ready about? Well, you need to be warfare ready at the deceitfulness of the enemy that would get you to begin to think thoughts that are contrary to the kingdom thoughts. That's what you need to be warfare ready to do. And to be honest with you, one of the things that I've been praying over the last days is how hard it is to have kingdom thoughts and ideology in the United States and our culture. What we find in our culture today is extreme arrogance. What we find is pride, great pride, self-centeredness, and 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 and. and in incredible greed. And in that environment, and because we're bombarded with all those thoughts, what we find is, is that it has heavily penetrated the church. And, 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 and somehow we've got to come to grips with the idea that that's not going to be who I am. You have to, there has to be some semblance of separation. It needs to look like oil and water. Those kind of thought processes need to look like oil and water. Now, here is the issue. The issue is, is that the church, I believe, has an opportunity to change our nation. We're not going to have a political party. It's not going to be by force. It's not going to be by rebellion. Nor is it going to be by holding up signs. It's going to be by intercession and the church interceding on behalf of the government in our nation, and on behalf of the church. And as we're transformed, we're transformed into the likeness of God, and it's going to have an impact on our communities. And it's got to be more than our church. It has to be churches all across the nation. The church needs to wake up, stand up, and become the church. We don't need to continue to duplicate lukewarm Christians. You see it happening everywhere. But there's this Focus on evangelism versus focus on discipleship, and you see a reproduction of lukewarm Christians at best all over the place, and all that's going to reproduce is more lukewarm Christians at best. What you'll find is, is that from one generation, it gets worse. It's always in, it's in Scripture like that until somebody repents and decides that they're going to do things God's way. And, and Paul is really addressing that because he's addressing the church. What he's saying about the church is that you really need to understand who Christ said he was. You really need to understand who you are in him. And then you need to fight for not only the way you think, not only the way where you stand, not only where your hope is placed, where you place your hope, where you place your purposes. You, don't need to, you not only need to stand there and be solid there and established there, you need to help 
The whole church become that. And when the whole church becomes that, then evangelism can occur. Then missions can occur because you're going to duplicate, replicate, reproduce out of your own kind. Paul is not saying, listen, I want you to go evangelize. Paul is saying, I want you to be transformed, and I want you to fight for the kingdom of heaven, for everybody in the church. And so in that vein, and and with that knowledge, let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. He's saying all these things. He's telling us about marriage. He's telling us about families. He's telling us about the principles of God. And then he says this in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That sounds like grace, doesn't it? His grace is sufficient to do anything in and through you that you need to be done. He said, be strong in this, that the power of God is sufficient for you. And so you need to be established in that place and be strong there. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So you have to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So that means that the devil or his, a third of the angelic beings who followed him are going to be uh, in full out attack scheming to derail you. How do they do that? Well, they do that through media. They do that through worldliness. They do that through greed and, and, and different attitudes that are constantly being presented to you because the battlefield is your mind. It's the way you think. It's how you perceive things. You know, reality to you It's your perception. Your perception is reality to you. It may be in Never Never Land, but to you, it's reality. Isn't that right? And he's, so the battlefield is the mind. And so he's scheming to get you to buy into attitudes and thoughts that are contrary to the kingdom. He's trying to trick you into thinking like the world. And what, what, Paul is saying to the church is put on the full armor of God. Protect yourself from the attacks of the enemy that are going to try to to formulate your thoughts. Now, if you struggle with depression or anxiety or stress or any of these things or, or, or fear, or any of those type emotional things, if that is a constant struggle to you, you can be assured that your thinking is being tampered with. And you can fall into patterns of thinking that cause all types of emotional issues. You know, depression doesn't happen one time. I mean, it's not one thought. 
It's a accumulation of thoughts that just get piled on top of each other until you get to a place where you feel like you don't have any hope. It is a pattern of thinking where you're buying into a line of thought that is contrary to the kingdom of God. It, it's, it, it makes you anxious. It makes, makes, uh, makes you worry. makes you stress. And God says, don't do that. Fight. That's, that's where the war is. Put on the full armor of God. Okay? It says we, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. In other words, your battle is in the invisible realm. Now, that seems really weird to me. I don't know about you, but that's, that's weird. But we know it's true, don't we? I mean, we can see evil everywhere. I mean, you can even see some of these people who are, you know, just really crazed with evil, and you can see the demonic in that. I mean, you can see it even on television, the different things. You can see it in video games. You can see it in movies. Go to the movie and see all the demonic that's listed on the, I mean, just go walk. And you could just read the titles and, and see the see everything. It, it's, the, it's there. It's everywhere. So it's invisible, and it's trying to influence you in a way of thinking. It wants you to get used to evil. It wants it to, it wants it to be just something that's, that's normal for you. So it's this invisible realm that we're fighting against, and it's the schemes of the enemy for the thoughts of our mind. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done everything to stand. In other words, you could be established. What this is saying to me is, is that God has given you the ability. You combine that with 2 Corinthians, he's given you the ability to have victory. You know, you speak and, and then and, and something happens in the spirit if you speak the word of God where you take back strongholds. Now listen, I want you to understand that the devil can't do that with you. The only thing the devil can do with you is convince you to begin to think something contrary to kingdom. That's his only weapon. His only weapon is to convince you in a way, a line of thinking or doing that's contrary to the way God. So he can whisper in your ear and you buy into it. Now what I see in the church a lot is I see it coming out of our mouth. And we actually speak hellish stuff, especially when you gossip or you talk about other people with dishonor. You know, even though Saul was after David to kill him, David honored him. Even after he was anointed king, he honored him. And there's that honor that comes with being a kingdom person that believes that the Lord loves every individual on the planet. And that the, the will of God is that none should perish, but everybody come to everlasting life. That is the will of God. That is the heart of God. It is not to criticize, judge, although there will be a great judgment. He wants to have mercy. It's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. It's when the water splashes on and they're jealous. They want a little bit of that. They want some of that. 
And so anything contrary to kingdom that the devil can place in your mind, that's how he gets victory over you. He gets you saying, he'll say to you, you're not worth much. And, and you'll say, I'm not worth much. He'll say, God really doesn't care about you. I'm not sure God cares about me. That's what we do. See it all the time in the church. What are we doing? We're not only buying into the lie, but we're not putting on the armor of God. We are are initiating and giving credence and power to the enemy. And so... uh, So Paul writes to the church, this is who Jesus is. This is who you are. Now, fight. Fight for what? For kingdom thoughts. For kingdom ways. Well, what if I don't see them? It don't matter. Fight. Fight. The devil's scheming to get you to denounce kingdom. And I'm going to tell you a way that it's being denounced a lot in the church. God doesn't do that anymore. God doesn't work that way anymore. What do you mean? Hebrews says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hadn't changed. He didn't lose his power. Matter of fact, to have that mindset really is contrary to the whole New Testament. God empowers the church to do the work in the ministry. Greater things will you do than, than Jesus did, he said. And so there's just... I mean, there's this buying into that through the church. Be careful what you listen to. Make sure you're listening to Scripture. So let's look real quickly at these things that he tells us to put on the armor of God. I'm just going to deal with each one briefly. Let me go ahead and read the whole thing, and then I'll come back to one. Does that sound good? So let's go to 14. He says, You put on the whole armor of God and you will be able to withstand everything that the evil day has to offer you. That sounds like victory to me. He says, so therefore stand, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. If I had my Bible, I would make sure that I, and if you don't, hold your hand out. I'm on her line of mine right now. Just stopping. Above all, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench, circle all the fiery darts of the wicked one. There's no way that Satan can have victory over you lest you give it to him. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Who are you praying for? Who are you persevering for? Who are you fighting for? All the Say it again. All the saints. All the saints. Makes a difference, doesn't it? 
We all the time are focused on people who don't know God when the people who are claiming to know God aren't living as if they know God. And all they're going to do is reproduce something that's dysfunctional. So we've got to first become functional, and then by natural witness, we will influence and impact a culture. And so let's look at each one of these, and I've got 10 minutes to get this done, so I've got to roll. The first one he says to do is to put on the belt of truth. Now, the belt of truth holds up all the other armor. Just like my britches, if I didn't have my belt on, this would not be pretty. It holds everything up, especially if you're carrying a little tonnage right here. But it does. It holds everything up. So it holds the breastplate on, and it holds what, whatever they had. They used to wear protection as well down around their knees. And, of course, then you put on the boots of the gospel. But the belt of truth holds everything up. And, and the word of God is truth. And, and that, whole, that whole idea of the belt of truth is established on what Paul has just been talking about in Ephesians. That truth is, this is who Jesus is. This is who you are in him. You put that belt of truth on you and you do not ever take it off. You understand who you are. That belt of truth protects you in so many different ways. Look at what uh, Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. He says, Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, pull up the britches of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see that? This is true. The revelation of who Jesus is and the power of God that's available to you as his son or daughter. As obedient children, you no longer conform yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance, but as he who called you to be holy, you also be holy, set apart to God in all your conduct, because it's written, be holy as I am holy. Again, you know, you've heard me say it before, but again, Jesus isn't asking us through Peter to do something that is an impossibility. He's not giving you some pie-in-the-sky vision that you can't accomplish. You can be holy as he is holy. Not by your own works, but through grace and the power of the Spirit working in you. And so put on the belt of truth. It holds up the rest of the armor. Secondly, we are to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, a breastplate in a in a in a you know a civil war or I mean a a, a, a knight of, of old would put on a breastplate. We've seen it when you know a knight's tail or whatever where they charged each other. And anybody else seen that besides me? Okay, good. Anyway, you got that on. Now, what that does? What did it do? What does a what does a breastplate do? It protects your heart. It protects your vital organs. If you, if you know anything about hunting, that's what you're trying to do is penetrate the vital organs, but mostly your heart. A breastplate protects your heart. And so you are to put on the belt of truth. You begin to understand that it, it's the truth of who Jesus, the revelation of Jesus and everything that he brought you. And so next, that's where your heart needs to be. 
It needs to be towards the things of Jesus. And so put that breastplate on to protect your heart. Make sure that you're always focused on your first love. And that is the revelation of Jesus Christ and who you are in him. Does that make sense? So you gotta you gotta make sure that that's there. You gotta make sure that that breastplate is protecting your heart. Doing what is right is the heart of God. Doing what's right in the eyes of God is righteousness. Now, when Jesus makes us righteous, He made us righteous at the cross, and so you are righteous. Say that I am righteous. You are righteous. You've been made righteous by Jesus. In other words, there is no sin that you've ever done or ever will do that will be held against you because you've been made right. So now that you've been made righteous, should you keep on sinning? You shouldn't, should you? Why? Because your heart is for righteousness. Your heart is for righteousness. And he says, put a shield on your heart to protect you from not loving righteousness. Are you still righteous? Yes. But there's a difference between loving and doing righteousness and being made righteous. The world needs, the world needs people who guard their heart toward righteousness. And there's a war that's been waged against you for your heart. To get your heart, to get you off track, to deceive you. And they're scheming to do it. So we want to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. The third thing that he says do is put on the boots of the gospel. I put the boots because I like boots. And I think they're heavy, the boots are. And so I put boots. <laughs> but it's the shoes of the gospel. And, and that is to bring good news, to bring hope. And what is our hope? To make sure you got the shoes of the gospel. I love this thought. I love this thought. And I want you to hear it. It's, this is good. What's the gospel? It's, it's the hope of the gospel. It says, it says, you know, it's the gospel of peace. It's, and it's blessed are the peacemakers, people who bring peace. Why? Because what is our hope? Our hope is in the revelation of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, and the revelation of who I am as his son or daughter. And I put my hope in his faithfulness. My confidence is in, it's in him. So we put our faith there. So what am, I, what am I shouting when I shot the gospel? Look, here's my hope. Here's who I am. 
What am I taking with me everywhere I go? Here's my hope right here. Look what Jesus did for me. He did the same thing for you. If you'll just begin to appropriate it, you'll see that peace comes. Everything is available to you. Every promise of God, every spiritual blessing, salvation is yours. Rescue, deliverance, healing. Everything is available to you. That's my hope. So shod your feet everywhere you go. Put your hope in him and what he did. Amen? Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel. You don't have to live life as difficult as it may be, as much of hellish force as is coming at you. You don't have to live as somebody with no hope. We live as if we have hope because our hope is in him. And everywhere we go, we're going to carry that hope. Romans 10, 15 says, And how shall they preach unless they are sent? This is you. And as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Isaiah 52, 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. How blessed are those who hear that message from you. Not so much as much or is at least equally as how you live is how you speak. How you think, what your attitude is. Now one of the things that I want you to understand quickly, (laughs) just looked up, quickly. Every culture, black, white, brown, red, Yellow. Every culture is a dysfunctional culture. It is a worldly system that's not kingdom. I don't know of any culture in the world that is living righteously. And so what we've got to understand is first we've got to admit that we aren't righteous based on our culture or our nationality. We, we have to begin to understand that we are, uh, we are made righteous by the culture of the kingdom. And that is the only way. So we've got to move toward that and bring the gospel of peace that way as we, as we go out and as we preach it. So the, la- uh, the fourth thing is, and it's not the last thing, <laughs> the fourth thing is the shield of faith. We've got to put on the shield of faith. Now, a shield, you see that, man, I, I, I like a shield. I mean, I, I was even watching some movie the other day where, you know, I think it was Troy, where they all get their shields together, you know, and they hold up and all them arrows are coming down. Y'all, y'all seen that movie? That's a great movie. Girls, you really won't like it probably. Well, you might like the dude that's starring in it, but the rest of the... 
But anyhow, they stand like this. They got the shield over them and they're back up and the, all the arrows are coming. Well, this is what it says. It says, the shield of faith has the power to quench every, all, every single dart of the enemy towards you. It is a defensive tool to protect you from the enemy. Now, what is faith? Faith is believing that Jesus, the revelation of Jesus and everything that he brought and everything you are in him. That's what you have faith in. You don't have faith in your ability. You don't have faith in anything that you bring to the table. But you have faith that what he said and what he did applies to you, and that's what you are. And if you walk in that faith, it can quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. So this is what I'm saying to you. I want you to hear me. Listen. Nobody can ever say anything about you, no matter how hateful that you will ever believe, because you know who you are in Christ. The church should never, ever ever, ever be offended. And the number one sin in the church right now that I believe is offense. We're offended all the time. We're constantly offended. And the reason we are is because we don't have faith in who Jesus says we were and we're not walking in that in confidence and in faith. Otherwise, it didn't matter what somebody says to me. I know who I am in Christ. You can say whatever you want about me, but I'm a son of God. I, am, I have an inheritance that's equal with Jesus. I'm in the family of the Trinity. Come on. I'm in the family of the Trinity. You can say what you want. I know who I am. I'm a son of God. Amen. Amen. There's no need to be offended. If you're offended, you're not walking in faith. Because faith quenches all the fiery darts. Nana, you're just not worth much. Good try. That doesn't sound like kingdom, does it? Now she can buy into that, no matter if someone in authority tells her that. When somebody in authority tells you that, that makes it harder, doesn't it? We deal with it all the time. But that's not true. You know that. She knows what I think about her. That's why it was easy for me to do that. But the, the thing that happens is Satan grabs that. And you, and you start thinking, well, maybe I, maybe I don't matter much. Maybe, I, maybe, I, maybe, maybe what I've got to give doesn't really, isn't going to really matter to anybody. That's just not it, is it? That's not faith. If somebody tells you that, you go, well, praise the Lord. Listen, praise the Lord. Now, I fought this all my life now, so I don't, I'm not saying this is easy. But you say, you, well, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm glad, I'm glad, you know, I'm glad you have an opinion. Everybody's got one. I just pray that, you know, you get God's. 
And I appreciate it. I appreciate it. That's cool. And you walk away and you say, I'm a son. I'm a daughter. The glory of I am the glory. I am the glory of the Father. Everybody say that with me with your arms open. I am the glory of the Father. That's good all by itself, isn't it? And he says, let me read 1 John 5, 4. It's too good to skip. For whoever is born of God, say this with me. Read, read, is it up? Yeah, let's read this together. Say it loudly. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Does this have any hesitation in it? I want y'all to, I'm just asking you. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Good gracious. And so we then put on the helmet of salvation. Now the helmet of salvation protects our minds, how we think. Once we start thinking righteously, you have to put the helmet of salvation. It brings freedom. The captives are set free. The brokenhearted are healed. The depressed, the, I, I re, listen to what he says in Isaiah, I replace the spirit of depression and heaviness with joy and singing. There's a transfer. There's an exchange that happens when we put on the helmet of salvation. Don't put it on on your negative stinking thinking and protect that. You protect the things of the kingdom. You put the helmet on to protect you from the things of, of the earth, of the world, and protect you from buying in those. It's, it's the protection of the mind. Now, you know that the fiery darts are fired at the mind and so you have the shield of faith that can extinguish all the darts and the helmet that brings freedom on your head. Salvation is freedom from captivity. 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 says, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope, of salvation. And lastly, it's the sword of the Spirit. Now, I want you to understand real quickly. Is that the fifth time I said real quickly? Okay, good. Now, real quickly for the fifth time, it's the sword of the Spirit, which is different from every other part of the armor. Every other part of the armor is a defensive part. But the sword of the Spirit is an offensive weapon, and it's indefensible. It says, by the word of God, that you take back strongholds. You know, if the enemy has come in and has gained victory in an area of your life, how do you get back that place? You begin to speak the word of God over it. And that is the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is 
the Word of God. And so you, you rebuke hell and you protect yourself from all its influence. And then you go on the offensive with the Word of God. You replace it with the Word. Now, we've been doing it the whole time. What do we say about offense? You can't be offended if you had faith because I know who I am. I'm a son of the Most High God. I, am a, I have the inheritance of Jesus. I'm a co-heir with Christ. I've been adopted into the Trinity. I'm a son of the Most High God. Every spiritual blessing is mine. The promises of God were spoken for me. What did I just do? I just spoke the word. From anything that's coming against me, I spoke the word over it. It's an offensive weapon. It takes things back. It's indefensible. Hell cannot win against the word. I'm telling you right now, listen, I'm telling you, the only thing it's going to do is try to distort the word. It's going to try to distort it in your mind and say, did God really say that? It's going to try to get you to doubt if a man doubts, let him not think that he'll receive anything from God. If you're double-minded, let that man think that he will receive anything from God because he won't. It's the faith and the speaking of the word. Now, you're not doing that in a name-it-claim-it fashion. In other words, you're not just... You're, what you're doing is you're, you're using it as a weapon. You're speaking it because it's true. You're speaking it because it is offensive. Offensive. Not offensive. Offensive. It pushes back hell, and hell can't win. What happened when Jesus responded with the word in its correct theology? He just rolled over. He would come with the word, and he would distort it, and Jesus would quote it back at him rightly, and the devil went, okay, you got me there. Well, you got me there. Yep, you got me there. Okay, I'm done. You know, he says, if you'll, if you'll pursue God and you'll resist the devil, what does it say about you? He will flee. He'll flee. It's the truth of the word of God. So this is not some semantic religious uh, ritual that we go through and say, "I'm going to put on the armor of God today. I've got the, I've got the, you know the the uh, whatever it is first, <laughs> the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the the boots, the shield, and the helmet. I'm going to put those on today. Hell can't mess with me." Bull, he can. It's not a religious ritual. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle that says, I have faith in who Jesus is. I have confidence that what he did is enough for me. I have faith in his power to do everything in me that he says he can do. And I am positioned underneath the authority of heaven. And I stay there and I will not be moved. I will be established there 
And there's nothing you can do. And so I'm going to begin to speak kingdom. What happens? You're protected. In the Old Testament, to Joshua, God says to Joshua, know my word. Make sure that you write it on your heart, making sure that you do everything that it says. And when you do that, because you do that, everything you do will be prosperous. Everything. So when you're not prospering, it might be a good idea to check your culture. Your culture at home. How you got thinking like that. And sometimes it's innocent. Whether you really, really, really want to be like Jesus. Sometimes when I talk to Christians, I say, you know, does that really sound kingdom? And they say this, well, I'd rather ask for forgiveness and permission. It's not kingdom. That means I have an intent to do the things hellish forces would have me do. I want to align myself with that and ask for forgiveness because it's easier. Do you really want to be like Christ? Do you really want the words to come out of your mouth to be kingdom words? Do you really want attitudes that you have? Do you really want to bring yourself into subjection to the things of the kingdom? You know, the word says that if we talk a lot, that we're fool because there's a bunch of stuff that comes out of our mouth that's foolish. Be careful for us extroverts. I'm talking to myself at this very moment. You just got to be careful. But when it comes out, are you listening for kingdom or not? I mean, do you really want to impact our nation? Well, let me tell you, I don't think my vote is going to impact my nation. I think my prayer and my actions can impact my nation. I think if the church as a whole would begin to move into what I'm talking about, that they putting on the full armor of God, standing for the kingdom and the ways of God, that we could change this nation. And I don't think there's any other way. And you say, well, you know, we look at the church out there and we go, my gosh, we're doing such a great job here at Eastside. All these other heathen need to get their life in order. That's just not kingdom. The only person that you really can change is yourself. You can change yourself and have influence on others. And we can pray for others. We need to be praying for the church in America. Amen? And it doesn't need to be some rebellious nature. Rebellion is not kingdom. Y'all hear me? Rebel's cool on television. Anybody that's rebelling on television, it's cool. Everybody loves it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, countercultural. If you really want to be a rebel, submit to Jesus. You really want to be a rebel? Humble yourself before the hand of God. You really want to be a rebel? Because that's not cultural. Don't be full of pride. Be full of humility. <laughs> humility. No? 
to the sum the message up before we I got a three minute video and then we go pray and then we're going home. So the whole sum of the message is the armor of God is to protect yourself from the world. It's not a it's not a political active system. It is a kingdom system brought about against forces that are invisible. We have to combat as the church. And so we're going to do that Saturday. Saturday we're doing our love walk. Y'all remember? Everybody remember? The love walk is Saturday. What I love about it is this, we're not holding any picket signs. I got a, I got a text or anything like that. We're, we're just going to go pray for the people who own the abortion clinic. That they get saved. And that the people who are coming to abort their babies, that they would choose life and not death. And not with judgment or condemnation. Not with accusations or, or harshness. With love and compassion. We're going to pray and ask the Lord to reign. Now listen, this Saturday, they, they told me there were 15 abortions Saturday. There's usually 50. So that, that means there were 35 kids that kept their life this last Saturday that normally wouldn't. This week, we're looking at having 5,000 people to pray from. Uh, and you need to sign up, by the way. Sign up on the website or sign up out here in the lobby so you'll have a T-shirt and all that kind of stuff. Know where to go. It's Love Life, Charlotte. Uh, make, make sure that we go. If you'll come Wednesday night, we're going to fast all day Wednesday as a church. We are the 40th week. It's a 40-week deal. Eastside Church is the 40th week. Michael Wallace is leading worship uh, with 5,000 people. It's going to be fantastic. Wow. <laughs> it's going to be 5,000 people at the place. We're going to do it outside. We need to come full force, prayed up, fasted up, ready to roll. Amen? Amen. Isn't that cool? And then something really great is going to happen in the afternoon. Right, Barbara? Lee and Barbara are getting married on Saturday as well. They're right there. Now, it's just a family thing. Not everybody's invited. Y'all don't show up. It's a family thing. They're going to have a wedding down the road, but they're ready to get married, and we're blessing the snot out of that because I love the way they're doing it. They're doing it kingdom, and it's going to be fantastic. Uh, and I'm excited about doing that. But let's watch this video. And uh, after the video, our prayer team is going to be up front. If you need prayer, um, come get prayer. If you need healing, you know somebody needs healing, come get that. Make a commitment that you're going to live life kingdom, that you're going to put on the armor of God, and you're going to take a position of warfare against any thought that is not kingdom. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's watch this. Almost 40 weeks ago, we began this journey to unite and mobilize the church to create a culture of life and end abortion in Charlotte in 2016. Over 60 churches have partnered to mobilize over 5,000 people to prayer walk at Charlotte's busiest abortion clinic and thousands more through prayer and fasting. I believe more than ever that the time is now for the church to rise up and stand united in the gap for these families. We are in a spiritual battle of light versus darkness. We are calling 60 churches to partner with us 
to come back for week 40. Celebrate Life Prayer Walk on December 3rd to stand united. Bring your family, bring your friends. We're calling 4,000 people for this gathering. Celebrate Life Prayer Walk will be at Charlotte's busiest abortion clinic on Latrobe Drive from 9.30 to 11.30. There'll be sign-up sheets at your church, and you can sign up on our website, lovelifecharlotte.com. Also, November 30th, we're asking people on Wednesday to fast and pray with us. We're believing for 10,000 people to fast and pray together. Join us as we celebrate near 400 families that have been saved at the abortion clinics over the 40-week campaign and this culture of life that's being birthed in our city. Before the campaign, this abortion clinic was averaging 50 abortions on Saturdays. Since March, that number has dropped to an average of around 25, cut in half. When 1,000 people came out for our prayer walk on August 20th, only nine people showed up for an abortion. Don't tell me that's a coincidence, church. Your presence here matters. We need you to be there. Don't think someone else is gonna show up. Help us spread the word. Your presence will help save lives. Jeremiah 5:28 says this, they do not plead the case of the fatherless to win it. Church, it's time we start pleading the case for life to win it. God wants to see abortion in more than we do. It's time for us as the body of Christ to stand united in the gap to see abortion end and a culture of life begin. This is the church's moment to invade darkness with light. Now is our time to co-labor with God for breakthrough in the city of Charlotte. We need everybody to sign up for week 40, Celebrate Life Prayer Walk on December 3rd, even if you participated with us before, so you can get all the details and we can know how many people are gonna be uniting with us. See you December 3rd. Amen. 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 I'll tell you what, I, I got to do this right here. Let's stand together and let's raise our hands and let's pray. I just, it's so good, the first service, I just can't, I can't get out of here. I know it's late. Let's raise our hands to the Lord. Father. Father. I said it loud. Father. Father. There we go. Now, if you're a son, you're a son. If you're a daughter, you're a daughter. Say that, okay? It's when I say it, all right? As your son or daughter. I come to you, standing firm, full of faith, on what you offered me at the cross. I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe I'm your son or daughter. Every benefit of kingdom is mine. I have faith in that. I have confidence. In your, in your faithfulness to finish. To finish. You, said me, you said about me that you were faithful, you were faithful to, finish to finish the good work, the good work that, you that you started. I trust that. I trust and so I choose, I choose to put on the full armor of God, to, armor of God, to know your word, to, know your word, to write it on my heart, to, on my heart, to let it come out of my mouth, out of my mouth. and I will take every thought captive that's against the knowledge of God and the ways of God. I will not speak them or repeat them or do them. I stand on the promises of the kingdom. Father, help me 
Soften my heart. Open my ears. May my eyes see the way you see, the way you hear, and what you would do. May my feet walk in peace. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Eastside Church Podcast. If you have any questions or need more information, visit our website, eastsidechurch.co.